Hello, everybody. This is Rob Thrasher uh, on Block Talk Radio, brought to you by LifeAndHomes.com. What we do here is, on my particular section that I like to call Spotlight on Success, I look at people all over the country who are either entrepreneurs, self-promoters, and sometimes it's a mixture of different things. In this case, tonight we have an entrepreneur real estate agent who is ranked amongst the top somewhere between two and 300 on the list that I saw. Again, I'll share that reference information with you guys shortly. But that's out of a hundred and something like 130,000 agents, way ahead of the bell curve. Let's just put it that way. So John's doing a phenomenal job. And he doesn't say a lot of this himself, so I have to say this before we get started because it really is phenomenal. I'm really happy to have John Brown on the phone here with me. And what we do here on Spotlight is we just kind of analyze how John got to where he's at. He's a kind of a serial entrepreneur in a way. He's had other businesses, and it seems no matter what industry John works in, he seems to make it happen. I guess making things happen is how maybe what you would best describe John. But uh, John, if you want to jump in there, this is John Brown. You can tell me a little more. Expand on my intro there if you would. Well, thanks, Rob. I like your intro. It makes me sound wonderful. Um, <laughs> I just... I did. I do work really hard, and I've been a real estate agent for. I'm hitting my 20th year in the real estate business, and um, I've always worked in business, and I grew up in business, and grew up in a family, crazy Greek American family. I think I told you the crazy thing about me. I'm the only brown you'll ever meet, probably in America, beside my brother, that's 100% Greek that has a last name of Brown. But the the work ethic of Greek Americans think that crazy Greek diner work ethic flipping cheeseburgers and that's kind of you know how we cut our teeth and not because I grew up in a Greek diner but I did grow up in a crazy Greek American family think my big fat Greek wedding with master's degrees and you can kind of get my family's vibe um, you know you will work you know something crazy happens to Greeks when they cross the Atlantic Ocean they get a work ethic so and and I've always and I've always worked. I'm a former restaurateur. I grew up in a variety of businesses that my parents had and you know you you were always whisked away and you worked. You went after school, you went to work and you 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 just worked. So I'm a worker. I enjoy working. Um but fortunately I find venues that I like working in. So I you know work doesn't have to be a four-letter word. It can be something that's fun. And fortunately sure. real estate turned out to be a wonderful niche for me. Yeah, we we had talked a little bit about the uh the Greek thing, and I and, and so I had to reflect for a minute, and I said, you know, it's kind of funny because I have um, an in-law relative who's out, um, I don't know, in the Boston area, I guess, and um, they're Greek, and they have a very, very successful restaurant, and we have um, people all over the Northeast, I know for a fact, who are, again, they're Greek with restaurants, and they all do, seem to do well in an industry where it's very, it's probably one of the toughest industries, the food and services industry, and um uh, somehow they seem to make it work. So well, you know, it's crazy. I'm I'm the Greek that actually finally has chosen a career that doesn't really deal with perishables. You know, the stereotype is Greek restaurant owners, and actually people don't are not aware Greek Americans. Um, really, up until about the ni- mid 1960s, they pretty much ruled the floral business in America, and that's really my family background. I'm the first Brown to not take over a family business in 160 years here, and. Wow. Um, uh, and then from there, I went into the restaurant business, and I had a great run in the restaurant business. And at a young age, I had a great score. And um, at about 30, I had a wonderful sale of a very, very successful business. And, you know, life changes. I had a really bad car accident. And while I was sitting there thinking, 
in a year of recovery, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? And a local real estate broker um, kind of encouraged me to go into real estate. And I think I told you that story. The first thing I said to him was I looked at him and I said, no offense, present company excluded. I go, oh, my God, I hated my real estate agent. <laughs> and he said, that's why you'll do great at it. You'll probably do everything they didn't. And it's proven to be true. You know, my brutal candor has proven to pay off and rewarded me with really stellar numbers and a really loyal customer base. You can't beat a loyal customer base because they come back and then you're not reinventing the wheel or remarketing yourself every time you, you do a sale. Um, just so everybody's aware, um, John is in the upstate New York marketplace up in the northeast. He's in a community that he referred to as the Mohawk Valley, which is between Syracuse and Albany. It's not the most progressive type community, but you've established a niche which puts you at the top of the whole industry nationwide, which is just, you know, it's phenomenal because, I mean, when you think of shakers and movers of, of sort of real estate, you don't necessarily think of upstate New York or, or even some parts of downstate. You think big cities in Manhattan and well, and, and that's yeah, and that's kind of been, I mean, that's kind of been a wonderful thing for my career. And you know, I didn't, you know, I was going like out long at breakneck speed, and then I, you know, I, I'm not one of these people that does a lot of conventions and trade shows, but I was asked to go to one, and they said, you do realize you're the you're the top broker in America in a market under a million people. Because, you know, when you have huge numbers, it's, it's one almost thing. impossible. Yeah, <laughs> right. and, and, and of course, I always tell my, I always tell people, you know, I may be a nationally ranked, you know, top 1% or top 1% of the nation's realtors, but that's in number of homes sold. It's never in dollar volume because there's naturally someone else in another part of the country that's selling a quarter of what I sell and making double or triple what I make in a year because we're in a sales-based business. But I've kind of taken my real estate businesses. You know, it's brutal candor, and I, I keep saying that. And, you know, and without really speaking of sexism, because I trust me, I'm not a sexist. I just happen to enter a field, maybe more so in our market, but it's a field predominated by women. So it really wasn't going to endear me very much to walk into a house and look at them with saccharine on my tongue and go, stop packing. And they're like, you know, look at me like I'm crazy. So I chose to go about it a different way and educate myself as to the market. I fortunately grew up in the market here, um, came back by choice to the hometown. I, you know, Like a lot of people, I graduated from high school, went off to college thinking the only time I would live back in my hometown would, or be back in my hometown would be for holidays and funerals. And after living around the Northeast, I discovered that I really liked my hometown region. We're in the, the heart of the foothills of the Adirondack Mountains. I'm an outdoors person. I love to hike and climb. and had the luxury, even though I had that crazy Greek-American family, they also had another side to them where they were also outdoors people and got us hiking and skiing and climbing and swimming and boating at a young age, and it can be quite addictive. So I came back to my hometown, and I enjoy living in the area. So, you know, it's easy when you can be the cheerleader for an area, too, and I think it's right. no matter what you sell, if you're educated about the product and actually believe in it, you can be right. quite effective. Yeah, yeah, that's a big that's a big difference when you believe in a product. Now you you went to school in New Hartford, New York, right? Right. Graduated graduated from high school at New Hartford. Went off to college at SUNY Oswego, and um, and um, and uh, had a had a run. Moved to Vermont. Lived in Killington, Vermont, and uh, then got pirated by someone in Killington that was starting a major uh, restaurant corporation, and went to work for them and. Found my way back from 
New England back into upstate New York after a series of crazy life experiences and found myself opening a restaurant at a really young age. And uh, when I was 23, I opened a restaurant just about 10 miles east of Utica, and it was a, you know, I try to describe it kindly. It was a no-tell motel with a lower-level restaurant and bar, shag carpeting on the walls and field and stream wallpaper. Um, it was pretty wow. scary. It was pretty scary. But um, This was when it, you opened it, but you changed all that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, what I acquired was that. And fortunately, I guess for me or unfortunately, nobody wanted it. It was the 14th foreclosure in its 25-year history. So I either just, I had a combination of being dumb and aggressive. Um, <laughs> I made it work, and it was extremely successful. And at my seventh year when I was 30, I had an unsolicited offer to sell it. It was a wonderful thing. Um, and I went off from there and changed changed careers. And uh, lots of things happen along the way that bring you to what you you do for for me um this has been this is my niche and it's a lot of fun um one of the things you said about you know people and and loyalty one of the things that i got into early on in my real estate career was you know i'd listen to people and you know you're a new agent or you're sitting there with people and you know when they tell you they bought the house in the last five years you're actually wondering what am i doing here who who did they buy it from and what i realized was you know, talk about quickly having the balloon burst of your own self-importance of your career. Most people couldn't remember the real estate agent they purchased the house from. You know, they'd look right. at me and I'd finally, I'd get the contract signed before I questioned them and they'd sign a listing contract and I'd say, so who did you buy your house from five years ago? And they'd look at you and say, was it Kathy or was her name Carol? And then that kind of indicated to me that people didn't really remember or were not impressed enough with the personality or the person or the person that sold it to them didn't really do their job in following up. So I made sure that my client base would always find me unforgettable. So my little warped kind of different style of showing, you know, I, I, I never walk into a kitchen and say, this is the kitchen because... Quite frankly, if somebody needs to be told that a room with a stove and a sink and a refrigerator is a kitchen, um, you don't have a qualified buyer. And number two, if you're a cheesy salesperson that's still saying that sort of stuff, you kind of need to get out of the business. So I do crazy things like I'll dive on an island and throw my body on it and say, look, or I'll make them get take their shoes off and get in an empty two-person jacuzzi and have them sit down in it and then look at them and say something really off-color, like everybody thinks their sex life is going to get better when they have a jacuzzi. It doesn't. Um, but, you know, you make it fun and memorable. And then one of the things that I've done is, I want to say dress up. Um, Got to be careful saying that. I dress up several times a year, whatever the holiday is, and it's cheesy and corny and funny, and but it's it's memorable. I... My Santa Claus, I dress up as Santa Claus, I dress up as a pilgrim, I dress up as the Easter Bunny, I dress up as St. Patrick. I do a variety of crazy things, and I have a cumulative mailing list of everybody I've ever done business with, and they get those cards from me five to six times a year. It's kind of funny. We didn't do a Halloween card this year because I was so busy and just didn't have time. And somebody called one of my members of my staff, and she's a nice little old lady, and she said, Is John okay? I didn't get his Halloween card this year. And he worked so hard, I'm afraid he's going to have a heart attack. And I thought, oh, no. oh my God, are they really keeping track? That it's is fun. impressive. 
Did you save any of the shag carpet just for posterity purposes? No, it was <laughs> any clearly the no, or no, no. I tried not to. It was pretty gross. The place was um, the place had been closed down for multiple months during the winter time without oh, the power being yeah. shut up, being killed. They had the power killed, so it was kind of um, full of mold and and they hadn't cleaned the meat lockers out and the walk-in coolers for about six months without refrigeration. So you can imagine what I walked into. Oh, no. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. That is not good at all. So that was Gross. a complete, that was the flip of all restaurant deals right there. You it really was. Head. It was, yeah, it was. It was a, it was a wonderful transformation of a, of a nasty place to a wonderful business. Um, and the key there was making everybody feel important, being out in front, being brutally candid, making sure that you asked them every, you got to every table and talked to them. And, you know, people like to feel important. Um, you know, wow. that, so you, Address them by name, have good recall, try to remember what they like to drink. Um, I mean, those are the basic nature of the service industry, whether it be restaurant, hotel, real estate, retail, um, knowing your market, knowing your client base. I think it's any sales job and right. being able to cater to them. Um, the, I think that certain sales, but somebody that's good selling pharmaceuticals is probably going to be good selling real estate and somebody said good selling real estate would probably be good selling photocopiers. I mean, I think the natural salesmanship ability. I've always found former uh, restaurants, restaurant, uh, former restaurant employees, waiters, waitresses, and bartenders, front of the house uh, restaurant employees make fabulous salespeople um, right. because they're usually used to sensing the situation. They can chameleon to be whatever you need them to be. And if they're good at what they do, they can earn your trust very quickly. So at approximately the age of 30, you, you sold your first business. Yeah. So what was a pretty, pretty good profit? Um, yeah, I had, a, I, I had a great score. Um, you know, I bought it at foreclosure. It was a down and it's disabled property. It was basically, it was acquired for about what the average sale price of our market. It was a 30-room right. hotel with a 100-seat restaurant and a 60-seat lounge. And, you know, in the years that I had it, I expanded it out of the cash flow, paid the mortgage off entirely. And, you know, life was good at 30. I had 48, 50 employees that had been there. Half of them had been there since day one. And I think I told you I didn't think life was going to get any better for a young restaurateur in the Mohawk Valley. My bills were paid, and I was driving a new Honda every year, still working 100 hours a week. New Honda and the bills paid. That seems like as good as it gets, right? <laughs> well, at that point in my life, it was all that I really... I guess I, that was right. all, it was great for me. Sure. And so it was a, it was actually it was really just a prolonged flip of a property. If you think about it that way, it's kind of ironic in the sense that you took something nobody wanted. Well, you know, the other thing everybody. is, you know, the other thing is the independent restaurant tour in America. Unfortunately, some of them make money, but what I found is I made a living. I made money when I sold it. Um, but fortunately for me, I didn't have a second set of books, which seems to plague many industries and small owner-occupied, owner-operated businesses. If you want a bank to finance your purchase, you better have some good tax returns to show that the business can support it. You know, and unfortunately, that's not often the case here in America in independently owned businesses. Everybody's so busy stealing from the business or trying to avoid paying the taxes on it that when they go to sell it, they can't show their real numbers and no bank will finance it. So fortunately, I'm Absolutely. dumb enough to play by the rules. <laughs> well, and one well yeah. Thing. Well, I guess I guess it was the, it was the best thing that happened to me in the long run. I got out of that business and into the next one. There you go. Um, 
and and I think one of the things that I took away from this the most is like, you know, obviously, obviously you have. I mean, there's a certain set of metrics that I found as I do my um, spotlight articles and interviews, and and they're really all really coming boiling down to just a few different things, but they all have different flavors. You know, so for instance, one thing that you had said is you find something that you enjoy doing, then you don't have to drudge to you know have a fear of going to the work in the morning. In the, in workplace in the morning. In addition to that, you seem to go out of your way to make sure that people who work for you um, leave with as good a taste in their mouth as people who are your customers, which is very impressive to me. And um, I oh, yeah, can't remember the, exactly how you phrased yeah, it. Yeah, well, the loyalty you, thing is, well, you know, here's the thing. You, you not only have to impress the people that you work for, um, or if you're in sales, the people you're selling to and selling for, especially in real estate. They want to know they have somebody competent representing them. They want to know they have somebody that's not a deadhead. They don't want a per. They want a personality, but more importantly, on the other end, being able to be able to produce that, you have to. I have as loyal a core of staff working for me as anybody could ever hope for. They are, you know, I don't make that separation. Some people can. They say, you know, work is work, and friends are friends. I basically believe that if you are going to get, um, you need to employ people that you would be friends with, because if you seek out certain human qualities, they're going to perform for you uh, better because they love you, not because they fear you, but because they love you. My staff really, honestly, without being sickening, I have a really loyal staff, and they really do, I mean, they enjoy working for me. I'm generous with them. And it was the same way in the restaurant business. I had total, you know, for any restaurateur will tell you, if you can retain after six or seven years um, most of your original staff that long and they're all still happy humming and making money, which, of course, they're happy because they're making money, but it's also a good work environment. It's an unusual thing. People are, you have to take care of your employees. I treat everybody like family. And that, I think, is the thing. I treat my customer base like family. I take, treat my employees like family. I treat everybody the way I'd want to be treated, which is that old saying of what goes around comes around. And sure. that's kind of been my credo in business. It's also giving back to the community and all that other stuff. But it's, it, it really is pretty simple. If you're nice to people and always tell the truth, um, I think that tell the truth thing is something that's kind of rare. Um, but once again, if, if you're in, a, in, a, in a, if you like what you do, you don't mind. Work. I mean, if you really love what you do, 60, 70 hours a week flies by. Um, people always say to me, Brownie, how can you work these hellacious hours? And I go, yeah, I love what I do. And they go, yeah, but what's up? You're working all the time. And I said, yeah, but I really like it. I like it a lot more than going home, putting my feet up and watching some depressing show yeah, on okay. TV. Kind of like saying, what else would I be doing watching uh, primetime TV? Or, yeah, watching uh, primetime TV. You know, like making like, money. You know, I'm getting a little old to go out every night. So, you know, it, it's work is a great diversion. I like it. It's fun. And I don't ever have a problem. I, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to be miserable in a job. And I wouldn't allow that for myself. I, I just wouldn't. Yeah, I it, it, and I think that that actually that's multifaceted. This whole being honest is is you're being truthful to yourself, to your potential customers, in the sense that 
you do a lot of pre-qualification. That's the, that's the biggest thing I think that kills people when they're entrepreneurs in business. They don't make sure that this is the right customer, not that just that they can write a check. And I think the whole honesty thing really cuts those ways. It cuts in the sense that you're being honest with yourself about what you want to do, what you enjoy doing. You're being honest with potential customers by maybe even telling them something that might lose you the listing, which I thought was something very interesting. Um, if you have examples of situations where somebody would come to you and you might say, well, you know what, maybe you're not necessarily right timing or the right pricing and let's maybe talk about this later because I know like you said a lot of the a lot of people uh, a lot of agents will just unpack that and take every scoop everything that they can scoop to bring it into their into their um, well you know, I mean I think if, if you want to be in it for the long haul you have to give advice you know and what is it an attorney stock and trade is his advice and I think you know um, it's the same thing with real estate, really. If you give people advice at the peril of your fee, they will respect you for it. You know, the person that takes you aside and says, I know that you really, um, I think you, got, you guys are really enamored with this property, but I do want to point out to you that, yes, it has some wonderful values to it, but, you know, have you thought about this, this, and this, and maybe we can move on and find you something better? And it's also the thing of telling sellers what they need to hear, not what they want to hear, um, especially timely in this market. You know, it is amazing with the national press saying what it is saying about the national real estate market, and it's true. I mean, the numbers are down. Buyer confidence isn't as strong as it had been. Um, we're kind of making some slow roads back. But it's amazing that you can walk in and people can be most educated and you know, extremely well read, and they're up to speed on everything. But somehow, whatever's happening nationally couldn't possibly be happening at 1313 Mockingbird Lane, where they live. You know, everybody else's house has got to be 20% down in value, but mine is so exceptional it couldn't possibly be. And I think that's a natural response for mo most homeowners. And unfortunately, more agents don't tell people what they need to hear doesn't necessarily mean you have to give the house away but if you need to get this price maybe this isn't the time to sell um, if you need to get that price that fine we'll try to work on it but at least be candid enough and let them know that you may have a relationship longer as their realtor than most American marriages last um, you have to kind of you got to give them the facts and you got to tell them the truth and you know, that's, that's the most difficult, whether it's telling them their house smells like cat pee or whether it's telling them, because <laughs> that's a tough one, or whether it's telling them that, you know, when they're sitting there, oh. they're going, you know, you go into some pretty bizarre things. I mean, you know, someone that has 3,000 beanie babies, and those are their prized <laughs> possessions, and they have, or the doll collection that's floor to ceiling in the living room, and, and then you go into the dining room, and the china closet is packed with dolls, and you know, you're not your first open house there. You're going to feel like you're in a bad Chucky movie. Um, so <laughs> you, you kind of have to tell them, you know. Wait, wait, wait. When was the good Chucky movie? <laughs> well, they're all bad. But believe me, I've been in some of those houses when you, nobody shows up and you're sitting yeah, there and there's yeah. nothing but 350 dolls looking at you. It's worse than some strange <laughs> Russian Orthodox icon that follows you wherever you look. You know, it's... That's <laughs> kind of weird. So there's one thing. So there's one thing about about being honest about, about 
you have to be a little sensitive. You can't, you know. I, I, you know, I have changed my, you know, I have learned over 20 you, years of real estate. How would you approach the now? How would you say well, that? Like, well, first of the thing, one of the things that I, I'll tell you, in 20 years in real estate, I have learned not to walk in anymore and suck the air out of the room with. <laughs> you have to be a little more tactful. I mean, sometimes you can say, "I've never seen anything like it." Unfortunately, <laughs> ego of most people is they'll touch you ar- your arm gently and say, "I knew you would love it, John Brown." Um, but I mean, I think what you have to explain to people that is, as much as it's their prized possession or their cat is there, and, and it's easy for me because I'm a dog owner. So I just say to people, you know, I, I I say to people, look, I love animals sometimes more than people, but um, you know, they don't have another agenda, but. My animal is my child, but I need right. to make you aware. And and all my friends, my closest friends, will tell you I have made them swear to me that if my house ever smells doggy, or personally, I'm kind of a big they guy. Have to tell you, <laughs> if my breath, my staff knows if my breath is not good or my my aura is not wonderful, I I demand they tell me because you know really yes. truly a, a true friend is not a yes mouth. Right. You know, so you have to sit them down and say the odor of your felines is a little off-putting, and um, I don't have the greatest sense of smell, so we need to go at you know. And and if yeah, you have a problem because people will run out of here faster than anything. I mean, it's like anything, you know. It's the you know we're we're in an unusual market in upstate New York. We have a broad variety of property. The values here are incredible. I mean. The best thing is when somebody comes from outside the Mohawk Valley and comes here and goes, I can't believe how cheap everything is. Because nationally, our average sale price is running about 50% of what the nation's is. And it always has been. It's a very affordable market. So, But even at 80000 or seventy-five or 60000 or $50,000, cleanliness or a nice clean house is still something that people they want. I mean, you know, people want to walk into something that's clean, even if they're not themselves that tidy. They want to know what they're buying is tidy, clean, smells good, feels good, uh, the senses. And then you do all those kind of crazy things to get people to get their houses in shape. And usually, I mean, sometimes it backfires on you. I mean, you help them improve their home to the point where all of a sudden they don't want to sell it. And then, but you know what? You're the guy that, but you're the guy that helped them do that. So, you know, when they do go to sell it, they'll call you. Or like today, I had this is a perfect example. I had a woman who I sold the house for five years ago, and she called me up, and she had a woman next to her in a local telemarketing company, and the woman next to her and her husband apparently had been looking for houses unsuccessfully, and she called me and she said, "Brownie," and she said who it was, and I said, "How are you?" And she said, "I'm great." Listen, girl next to me. She's been working with two different real estate agents for the last six months. They can't find them a house. I told her if she could take it, you'd definitely be able to. She, she, I told her if she could take you, you would definitely be able to uh, find them a home. And I said, what do you mean, take me? And she said, well, you know, you're a little warped, but you're not dangerous. <laughs> and that, that was not dangerous. That's exactly how I was. <laughs> Um, so that kind of inner, so that so that kind of um, uh, referral is, you know, I love it because yeah. I don't want to be a normalian. They want, 
taking fun. Well, you, like you say, you know, if you're not having fun doing it, don't do it. You're clearly having fun doing it, and people enjoy that, and they're coming back to you time and time again, which is phenomenal. It's, uh, it's really good. And like I say, you know, your industry is real estate, but the, the true, the true like guts of all this stuff is that it's it's not really an individual industry. It's doing what you like doing. It's being good at it. It's being good to people and making sure they want to come back a second and a third and a fourth time as they progress through their life cycle and they want to upgrade and then downgrade and do everything else that everybody does in the world. I just want to take real quick. Um, got about 15 seconds on the live show and then anybody who pulls this up later out of the archives, we're going to stay on for a few more minutes. I just have a couple more kind of fun talk with John about. And everybody, you can check us out. Just Google Cyber Village Spotlight for the text article. And make sure you go to lifeandhome.com. So there we go. So we're still recording for the archives, John, but we're not live anymore. Okay. Um, so uh, so the other thing I wanted to ask you about quick, and I wanted to kind of get the, you know, the um, kind of the metrics of being a sign of a serial entrepreneur stuff done in the first first half hour because that's how long the schedule is full. But now I just want to talk about a few other things. And I still think it's important to to just, you know, we nail these things in the, in the sense that it's not, it's really truly not about just making money. And, and most of the people who I um, interview for these things, everybody likes the money. You know, don't get me wrong. That would be ridiculous to say that people don't enjoy making money. But the fact of the matter is that they didn't make their lives about making the money, and, and, and then the money came as they were as they continued to do the right thing for the right people at the right time. The money eventually will will, will show up, and it, and it might not always be. You know, I have a lot of entrepreneurs who I talk to who not fantastically wealthy, but I mean they're making a great living in a good area. They got a good quality of life. They can do everything they want to do and go on vacations and. Um, so it, it's, it, it is, in a sense, the long-term goal is, is naturally that there has to be some money to shake out of the tree. But, but really, truly, in, in your case, you never, really, you never really made it about the money. You made it about the people who are around you, the people who work for you, the people who come to you to, to look for advice or to look for if they should list their homes or not. And I think one of the phrases that, that you um, coined in our pre-interview is that you don't, uh, not that you phrase that, you don't worship uh, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't pray to George Washington on the dollar bill, and that that that's one of those things. But you know, I got to tell you, a lot of it is, um, you know, I I kind of go back to family lessons, and I I love to, you know, I love to make satire, and, and my and I always tell people and anybody that's known my family over the years go, Brownie, you got to write a book because I did not grow up with. Mr. and Mrs. Normal, New Hartford, New York, where Dad came home at 5 o'clock and Mom was out shopping all day. My parents were hard-driving business people that acquired, worked, worked, worked. But, you know, the things, the lessons that were always kind of interesting to me, and, and the family business really was a floral business in downtown Utica. And, you know, in their obsessive-compulsive way, not only did they have nine lines, and I don't want anybody to, anybody that would remember my folks or would listen to this, they know that it wasn't the average little mama and papa store. There were people shoved in all over, down in the basement, in production, up in the... I mean, they had them everywhere. They were a top production store. They, they had the lion's share of business in the community. Um, similarly to me right now, I, I have the largest market share. My, my family dominated the market here for generations in the floral industry 
and but I always will think about this and over and they had multiple other businesses and they did very well. Um, I will always think about this as a little kid as I, we were running out the door to get on a plane and it was going to be you know big trip to Disneyland and that was when it was in California before Disneyland Disney World was open in Florida and you can imagine you know you're all excited your parents are obsessive compulsive workers we're actually going on vacation and it's not going up to camp in Old Forge and all of a sudden the, camp, the trip got canceled at the last minute and. I mean, it was that morning, we were packed, and I looked at my mother, and you know, I was ready to have a breakdown as a little kid, and my mom said, one of our really good customers passed away, it's a big funeral, they've done business with us for 30 years, we can't desert them now. And, you know, mom and dad could have had one of the designers do the casket sprays and all the flowers and everything. I just grew up in that kind of family, and that... That kind of, I think, when you take your customer base seriously, once again, treating everybody like their family. That doesn't mean you have to work with people you dislike. It just means that those people that you do work with and for, you give them the same counsel that hopefully you would give your loved ones. And I can't see how that ever could be a bad practice in business. Right. Um, Absolutely. No, that's a, that's a good way to good way to end it. It really is, and, and this has been very even in you know I still I've done so many of these, but every time it's it's still enlightening to me. Um, you know, whenever I listen to somebody that's you know had a couple businesses and successful businesses, and a lot of times the first two or three businesses are complete total utter failures, but eventually um, kind of like hit, you know they start to hit their head on the right rock or whatever. They just do it over and over again. Um, but it is a, a learning process, and, and this is what kind of what we're getting the show for. So I appreciate all your time. I'll let oh. you get back to work. You're probably at the office working still, right? I, I am at the office, and I got another. I got a couple things to do, but um, it's been fun, and I thank you. Thank you very much, John Brown. That was everybody. Thanks for coming, John, and thanks everybody for listening. We'll Thanks for having me. Okay. Bye bye. Talk to you.